Lucas asked me this morning, so Peter, what are you feeling for the service? I said, nerves. <laughs> he said, what, you feel nerves? I said, every time I preach, I'm like petrified. I've got to go toilet five times. <laughs> I'm so humbled to be here. Thank you so much for the hospitality over the week. Um, it's been absolutely amazing, like walking through the crowds at the conference, which was so amazing. Thank you so much, Andrew and MC, for, uh, and the team, all of the team, um, for putting that together. Wasn't it beautiful? It really was beautiful. And Lucas, thank you for allowing me to be in your home with your amazing family. Lucas's family is amazing. It really is. And just everyone here, thank you for loving me and, um, yeah, receiving me. Um, I'm really humbled every time I just think, like, how, how am I here? Like, how is it that we are so many miles away that we can be in partnership with you? How did, how did this all happen, you know? And God is amazing. How he brings... Lucas was telling me how he met Andrew, like, on an aeroplane, didn't even know he was, bought him a cup of tea, but God, God was was maneuvering and working. And some years ago, I think about 12, 13 years ago, I went to Austria and I met a guy there called Steve, who I didn't know was gonna become a very good friend. And then he introduced me to Will. Will introduced me to you guys. And here we are in relationship. God is building his church, isn't he? And um, God knows exactly what he is doing. Uh, my wife sends her love. Um, she, she needs to come, but she doesn't like the long flights. So she said, um, if when I come next, if I do first class, business class, where there's, <laughs> where there's a bed, she will definitely come. So I said, all right, I'll speak to Andrew about it. <laughs> <laughs> But she sends her love. Um, we, we have, if you don't know, we have four children. And I've now, since I was last year, I've got a grandson who's, uh, he is, what is he? Is he five months old? I haven't seen him for a whole month because he's been in Dubai um, enjoying his life. Uh, so if you could turn your Bibles to the book of um, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, and as you're finding it, I'll just share, um, 30, 37 years ago, um, I was sentenced to two and a half years in prison, and when I, when I got into the first cell they put me into, there was a guy in there called Adam, not the Adam from the Bible, a different Adam. <laughs> And I knew Adam from on the streets. So, and the first day Adam had the prison chaplain come in and speaking to him about Jesus. Now, about two weeks before that, we was having a conversation with my friends about God, about angels, about ghosts, about um, aliens. And, and I was the only one in the room. This is about 12 o'clock. We were smoking weed. Andrew wasn't there at this time, but like, we was there. <laughs> and, and we were discussing this. And I said, I don't 
I don't believe in God. I said, I believe in Jesus, that he was an historical man, but I don't believe in God. And we were arguing that night, and like my friends were saying, they were all ungodly, by the way, but they were all saying, Pete, you can't say that there's no God, because it was all kind of raised up and came up in church. But for some reason, something in me was just like, there's no God. And then two weeks later, I think, I think God heard that conversation. It's okay. Okay, I heard your conversation. And so when he put me in, when, when I was in that cell, and Adam had the prison chaplain come around, and he was talking about God. I, I immediately piped up and said, there's no God. And, and then we got into a conversation. And this guy, David Hughes, the prison chaplain, he, he just didn't even argue with me. He just looked at me with like these, you know, those Robert Powell, Jesus of Nazareth eyes. And, and just like, just didn't try to argue with me. And, and over the weeks, I just melted and melted and melted. And then finally had so many different experiences with God that I said God when I get out of here I promise you if you get me parole get me get out early parole is where you get out early so I said God if you get me parole I promise you I'll go to church now I mean those God's heard that prayer many many times but I really did mean it and um, this is setting up for where I'm going and I I did I got parole so of the two and a half years I think I've done 20 something months or 20 months and I got out and then I tried to find a church to go to I went to three or four churches and just couldn't find the life of God just couldn't experience you know no I really wanted to honor God just couldn't find it and then over the weeks, I stopped trying, and I started to slowly slip back into my old ways with a little bit more conscience this time, but um, slipping back. And then had an experience where we went out one night, and these guys came for me. I went to respond. I heard someone say, Peter, leave it. I walked away. Five minutes later, the guys did that to my best friend. He responded. They stabbed him in his heart five times. He died in my arms, and I knew at that stage, like we're both 19 at the time, he was my best friend, and I knew, like, I need to go and find God. But the problem is, I, I need a church to serve in, right? So I'm saying to my friends, you know what, I'm just going to go away somewhere far and be a Christian. This is after my friends are, I'm going to go away. Like, I, I felt like I needed to go away, like, but I just didn't know if there was a church. And someone invited me to a little church in Bethnal Green. And I got there, I met my pastor-to-be, got baptized, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and my life was radically changed. Now, I said all that to say that God is at work out there. He's at work in the prisons, he's at work in the streets, he's touching people's hearts, he's moving on people, but he needs a church. <laughs> like, this, what God was doing with me was away from the church. He was moving on me. And I, I believe even as we're sitting there right now, there are thousands, even millions of people that God is touching their hearts and he's, and he's working on their hearts and he's turning their hearts. And they're going to turn up one day in our churches, like I turned up in some churches. But I didn't find the life of God. So I want you to give God a big praise that you're in a church where the life of God is. And can I ask you, never... Never take it for granted. Never take it for granted. There are lots of people sitting in dead churches right now, wondering why they are there, hoping for that service to over. 
Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and others Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Everyone say, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Amen. We can kind of put a line through verse 20 because you are now to tell everyone that he is the Christ. Amen. <laughs> so I just want to preach very shortly. I will build my church. Would you look at your neighbor and say, God's going to build his church. And as I start, let me just say, I'm really grateful for 412 and for meeting Andrew, meeting the team. We have become so much better by being in partnership with 412. Our churches have become a lot more healthier. I think when I met um, you guys, we were just one church that I planted 25 years ago. Now, we've just last week planted our 10th congregation. And, um, and also... Thank you so much for praying for me. Like, I have been through two and a half years of hell. Not just physical, like COVID nearly dying, triple heart bypass operation. But the last few months, the devil has thrown the, the, the washing machine. He's thrown the cooker, the microwave. He's, he's thrown so many things. Like I, It's just come at me because I realize God is taking me somewhere. And to the point, the other day I was in a shop. And this guy, he came like, like through and, and he said, excuse me, I'm a little bit drunk. So he says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm looking for something to eat. And so he comes up and he comes close to me and he's like, he feels like he's rubbing himself on me. And I'm like, this is a bit close. So I moved aside and then I went down a little bit further and then he followed me down. He says, what are you looking for? And then he, started, he tried to put his arms through my arms. And I pulled away. Then he tried to hold my hands. And I said, stop. <laughs> and then he walked away. He won't let me hold his hands. And I, and I thought, devil, you're throwing everything, but don't throw that one. That's like that. That is... Jesus. Jesus said, who, when he came, he said, who do people say that I am? There's, there's a talk in Caesarea and all over Jerusalem and all over that known world about this guy that was healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, touching lives, changing lives. And, and there was various different opinions that people had, like there are today, different opinions about Jesus. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, what's the talk? How, how, who do people out there, who are they saying that I am? And, and some said, you're Elijah. 
you know, and some saying you're, you're Jeremiah. I mean, I don't even know how they managed to come to that conclusion that Jesus is Elijah or is Jeremiah. And some say you're one of the prophets and, and uh, you, you know, uh, you're this, you're just a good human being, a moral a man, you know, who come to teach us morals. Some are saying this. So Jesus said, all right, that's, that's what people are saying. But who do you say that I am? And, and Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That confession of who Jesus is. Um, and Jesus is the most central figure of our Christianity. He is the reason why we're here, right? I would not know you at all if it weren't for Jesus. But Jesus is the common denominator, and he's the reason why we are together. He's the reason why we are family. He's the reason why I can call you brother. I can call you sister. He's the reason why the blacks and the whites and, and everyone can sit together and worship together because of Jesus. This is not just a social club. It's not just another club. This is a family. And we are, the Bible says, the whole family in heaven and earth is called by that name, Jesus. Huh. He says, who? Do men say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. You are the one that the prophet spoke of. You are the one, you are not Elijah. You are the one that Elijah spoke about. You are not Jeremiah. You're the one that Jeremiah spoke about. You're not Isaiah. You're the one that Isaiah prophesied about. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the great I am. Amen. You are the tree of life. You are the water of life. You are the bread of life. You are the water of life. You are the resurrection of life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the great I am. And before Abraham was, you was. You are the son of the living God. You are God manifested in the flesh. You are God justified in the spirit. You are God seen of angels. You are Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forever. We are serving a mighty, mighty Jesus. Amen. Come on, clap your hands for Jesus. 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 And so while all other religions, their gods are dead. We are serving a resurrected king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the prince of peace. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we can see Jesus from Genesis through to resurrection, to, resurrection, <laughs> to revelations. He's the great I am. Just look at your neighbor and say, he's the great I am. And we have to catch a revelation of Jesus. The greatest revelation that we will ever get is the revelation of Jesus. That's why Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood did not give you this. You will never get a revelation in Bible school. Bible school is great. Bible college is great. They'll teach you great theology. But if you're going to have a revelation of Jesus, it has to come from the Spirit of God. And it is the greatest revelation you're going to ever have. 
And I remember when I got saved and I was going to church and I was loving on God. But I remember when I really caught a glimpse and I was on my way to work and, uh, and I was thinking about, um, you know, God, Jesus coming amongst us. And I was, I was just walking to work. I was thinking, God, if you came down and walked among us, like we would just love you. And then God just gave me a revelation of when Jesus did come, when God did come in human form. And God showed me what we did to him when we could touch him, when we could hug him. Because I was, I was walking along thinking to myself and saying, God, if you came, I would just, you know, I would just want to hug you and love you. And God says, this is what happened when I came amongst my people. He said, they spat in my face. He said, they plucked out my beard. He said, they whipped me. They, they tore the, the flesh off of my skin. They crucified me on the cross. They mocked me. They jeered at me. And God just showed me a picture of Calvary. And as I was walking to work, God just said to me, this is the picture of the greatest love of, man, of God and the, the greatest hatred of man. And we saw Jesus. And I think that day when I was walking, I, that's when I caught a revelation of who Jesus was. That he was indeed my Savior and my God come in the flesh. So Peter got the revelation when he said, you are the Christ. And I believe he was speaking on behalf of the rest. But then when Jesus turned to Peter, he says, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. So I feel like what was going on in this passage is, is like Jesus saying, you need to know who I am. But also I need to know who you are. And the church is going to be built upon the revelation that you know who I am and I know who you are. The church is built not upon Peter himself. It's built on the revelation, the rock of the revelation that you know who Christ is and Christ knows who you are. See, Matthew 7, 21 Jesus saying, not everyone that comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father. And he says, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, did we not prophesy and interpret tongues in your name? And Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not build churches and do many wonderful works? And Jesus saying, I'm going to say to them, I never knew you. The church is built on the revelation that we know who he is and he knows who we are. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Bible says, And God's firm foundation stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows who are is. And let everyone name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Because Jesus said in John 10.14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. See, the church is built on a relationship. The rock of a relationship. That we know him. And he knows us. You are Peter. That, that scripture is probably one of the best scriptures in the world. Because he didn't say you are John. Or Andrew. Or Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but I know who you are. So the best thing that all of us can do, and if there's just one thing I would suggest in this, the best thing that we can all do is work on, you know, whilst I will work on my relationship with human people, with human beings on a horizontal, my greatest desire is to always know him. No matter how many churches Paul had built and how much stuff he had done, he still at the end of his journey will say, oh, that I may know him. That's got to be our greatest desire. Our greatest desire should not be, oh, that I may preach and oh, that I may do this or oh, that I may do that. It's got to be, oh, that I may know him. And no matter how much you think you know him, there's still more of him that we've got to know. Amen? Look at your name and say, oh, <laughs> that I may know him. I want to know him. When I read the Bible, I want to know him. I want to know him. There was a young boy that got up and read Psalms 23. And when he read Psalms 23, everyone clapped at the end of him reading it. And then this old guy got up and read, read Psalms 23. And everyone began to weep as this old man was reading it. The young man went up to the old man and he said, he said, how comes we read the same psalm, but we had so different reaction? When I did it, they just clapped. But when you did it, everyone was weeping. He said, young man, you know the psalm. I know the shepherd. And getting to know God, obviously, we get to know him through reading our dirky. <laughs> I'll never forget MC preaching that message. It always, I mean, it was good five years ago, six years ago, even seven years ago. I'll never forget it. Because there was a relationship that she expressed in there that we have towards the word of God. And we have towards God when we approach the word of God. So we've got to know him. Amen. Just look at your neighbor one more time and say, stop talking to me. I'm joking. <laughs> so Jesus was not saying, I'm building my church upon Peter, Petra, Petros. I'm building it upon Petra. I'm building it upon a rock. I'm building it upon something solid, something that has foundation. And he says, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail because it's built upon a rock. It's built upon something solid. Now, when Jesus said he's building his church upon a rock, in your notes you can write down 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4. In this, Paul says, And all drank of the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the same spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Amen. The church is built upon the rock, and that rock was Christ. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. So I want to take us on a little journey through the Old Testament. Go right back to Genesis 28. And the Bible says, so early in the morning, verse 18, um, Jacob took a stone. Everyone say he took a stone. And he put, and he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon it. He called the name of that place Bethel. 
But the name of that city was called Luz before. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If the Lord will be with me and, and keep me in this way that I go, I will give and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that he gives me, I will give a tenth to you, God. Amen. If you read the verse, verses before in verse 11, you find that Jacob took this stone, this rock, and he made it a pillar. I'm not sure how you sleep upon a rock. But I remember, actually, when I was reading this, um, when I had just got saved, I had two friends, Nigel and Andrea. Andrea's now gone to be with the Lord. But I remember them um, praying for me as a young believer. And they were the guys that really were on my case to study and to read and to, you know, do. And they used to pray and they said, God, put rocks in his bed. Don't let him be able to sleep. Let him get up and pray. And, and they prayed for rocks in my bed. I'm still having rocks in my bed. It's like... <laughs> So they prayed this over me. And so I prayed those things. So God, put rocks in Andrew's bed. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but watch this. Jacob took a stone, a rock, and he made it a pillar, a pillow to sleep on. And he slept. And in that, he had a vision. And he saw angels descending and ascending up and down from earth to heaven. And then when he woke up, he said, my gosh, God was in this place. I didn't know it. And the Bible says, this is nothing, verse uh, 17, this is nothing but the house of God, the gate of heaven. What is the church? The church is the house of God. It's the gateway to heaven. And, and Jacob got that revelation. And so he woke up in the morning, and, and during that, verse 14, God came to Jacob and he began to give him promises and began to speak into his life, began to prophesy into his life that God will make him great, will make him a nation, will give him the north, the south, the east, and the west. It's a prophecy to the church, amen? And so then Jacob wakes up and he takes that stone that he slept on, that he rested on, because the house of God, amen, is the place where we rest, it's the place where we sleep. It's the place where we're most comfortable. It's the place where we're in God. We're hid with Christ in God. But then he anointed that same stone that was his pillow, and he makes it a pillar. And he says, now this is the house of God. And the Bible says that rock that followed them was Christ. Everyone say that was Christ. And then we go over into Exodus. I'll skip through this and... Uh, in Exodus 17, God told the people were thirsty and God told Moses, Moses, smite the rock and water's going to gush out. And Moses, you know the story, he gets his rod, he smites that rock and water comes out because that rock was Christ. And Jesus says, I am the water of life, I'll quench the thirst. But then over in Numbers 20, it says, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation Assemble the congregation, you and Aaron and your brother, and tell the rock before the eyes to yield its water. So shall it bring forth water out of the rock and the people will drink. Verse 9, and Moses took the staff from before the Lord had commanded him. 
verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly, and he says, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water out of this rock for you? God had told him what to do. If you read before, God had said to him, What? Speak to the rock. But Moses was upset. I don't know who upset him in that congregation. But someone in that church upset him. I've learned a long time. I don't talk to people Sunday mornings. Like, I don't answer my phone. I don't read texts. I don't let take calls. Because, particularly if I'm preaching. Because I don't want to get up in the pulpit angry. So Sunday mornings, like, you could be dying. I remember actually someone, I got to church, and someone who was with part, she was married to one of our leadership. I got to church, she said, how can I speak to you for a minute? And I forgot myself. And I followed her, and she took me in a room, and... She said, oh, I need to talk to you. And then she said, um, yeah, about eight weeks ago, we had an agape service. She said, about eight weeks ago, I, I held the door open for you, and you didn't say thank you. <laughs> now, there's like 400 people, and there's lots of movement. Um, you know, I'm moving around. I'm trying to talk to everybody, if you know my nature. And... And I'm sure she probably did open the door for me, and I probably didn't say thank you. So I said, oh, I'm really sorry. But she says, no, 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 no. You did it on purpose. Now, listen to me. When she told me I didn't hold the door open, and I, and I didn't say thank you, I'm willing to accept that. But then when you say now I did it on purpose, that takes it into a whole new stratosphere. <laughs> like that... That's like intentional. That's like I've got something in my heart. That's mean I'm being, you know. And, and I said, no, sis, it's not like, no, no, you did it on purpose. And you're always in. Now, this is like eight weeks ago. And, 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 then, we're, and then I'm supposed to preach now. So in the end, I said, sis, like, I, I'm, I'm really sorry. It wasn't intentional, but I'm really sorry. But I'll tell you what, next time, if you ever hold the door open for me, and I don't say thank you or anyone, just say to them, don't you have any manners? And straight away they'll say, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> and it's over, right? You, you don't have to walk around with eight weeks of offense. <laughs> From that, I had to go back to my seat, Andrew. And I had to try and worship through the worship. Now, how I many you know that becomes hard now because your head... It's messed your head up. It's like, you're trying to think of Jesus, and then you've got this person like, you did it on purpose. You did it on purpose. You did it on purpose. <laughs> and I think, God, help me. Because I, I, I'm preaching. I want to get up in a pulpit, and I don't want to preach angry. I don't want to get up like Moses. You rebels. <laughs> they got Moses so angry that God told Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses was so angry that he took his rod and he hit the rock twice. Water came out, you know. But Moses never went to the promised land. He missed out. God says, you did not glorify me in the eyes of the people. Why? Why did God, I mean, Moses was so faithful. He had these rebels for three million rebels for so long, leading them through the wilderness. And he makes this one mistake, and he misses out, and they all go in. Why? Why so drastic, God? Moses, that rock represented Jesus. Jesus is only to be smitten once. You smote him the first time. 
We don't smite him again. We don't crucify Jesus again. Now what we do, we speak to the rock. We don't crucify the rock again. You messed up the whole typology, Moses. Everyone say, that rock was Christ. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. It's Moses that say, Moses, God, uh, show me your glory. And God says, look, Moses, if you see my face, you're going to die. But I tell you what, I'll put you upon a rock and I'll hide you in a rock. And I'll show you my hinder parts. You'll get a revelation from the place of a rock. That rock was following them in the wilderness. And that rock was Christ. And I just love, I'll close off this bit. Um, that same rock is what we call today the rock of offense. It's the rock of stumbling. It is the stone that the builders rejected that has now become the head of the corner. Someone say hallelujah. It says in 1 Peter 2.6, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whosoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen. This rock is Jesus. And Daniel 2.24, uh, 2.34, uh, or 3.34, 2.34, I don't know, it'll go up on the state, on, yeah, 2.34. Um, the Bible says, that this vision that they saw of this head of gold and this chest of bronze, which is the Grecian Empire, and, and the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay, which represent hum, humanism, which represents human government. It says there was a stone that was carved out that came from heaven and smote that image, which is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That rock has been running all the way from Genesis, all the way to the end. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to destroy all of the human governments. I can't wait. I can't wait. I read, I mean, like that passage where, where, the, where the revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, while we're saying come quickly, we have to save as many people as possible. It's, it's a dichotomy prayer, isn't it? Because at the same time, we're saying, God, come quickly. We don't want it to get any more wicked because it's going to get worse and worse. But in the meantime, God, I want to snatch them out of the fire. I want to reach as many as possible. I want to reach my uncle, my auntie, my sister, my brother. I want to bring every person I can into the church. Are we in a place that loves Jesus? Ah, my soul waits upon you. So let me just take some. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now notice, who's going to build it? I. The church is going to be built. But it's being built by Jesus. Now even though we are co-laborers and we are co-workers, ultimately the builder is Jesus. Jesus is building his church. He's at work assembling and bringing and putting his church together all over the world. God, Jesus is assembling his church. I personally am going to do it myself. Of course, I'm going to get some co-laborers to help me out, but it's me building it. And you hear sometimes people stand up, I built a church of 3,000 people. Yeah, you built something. 
I'm not sure it was a church. But the church, when it's being built, it's being built by him. Jesus is building his church. Look how glorious it is, amen? See, when man builds it, it looks all manky and like things out of place. And, you know, when Andrew does. <laughs> but when Jesus builds his church, he builds it beautifully. He puts it together wonderfully. He says, I. And then he says, will. That means the church is going to be built. Despite what happens to Andrew, or Lucas, or myself, or any one of us, the church is not predicated upon me or upon any other person. The church, he didn't say, I may build my church, or I might build my church. He says, I will build my church. You know what? I stand in confidence. There is going to always be a church. If I die, there's still going to be a church. If the devil kills me or I die natural causes or any of us, there's always going to be a church. God is going to have a church. You can burn them on stakes. You can put them in lion's den. But God is going to keep on building a church. He's building his church. And it's not where he's going to get the materials from, but he's going to get the church. He says, I'm going to build my church. I will Build. The church is something that's built. It's not pitch. It says Abraham pitched his tent, built an altar. He's not pitching a church. He's not just erecting up a temporary thing. He's building something that is solid, something that is strong. You know that church, that song we sing? Build your church. Build your. No, you don't know the song. Sorry. sorry. Like, I can see it. I can see it. You're all looking at me strange. <laughs> forget it. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> the song says, build it from the ground up, we're your church. You don't know it, do you? Look, you're all looking at me like I'm speaking Swahili. All right, don't worry. <laughs> so he's building, and the Bible says, I will build my, I will build my church. Whose church is it? It's his church. It's God's church. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The church is his bride. It's not my church. You know, some preachers and pastors like to talk about their church. And people feel like it's, it's my church. And, and, but we forget it's not my church. I might be a co-worker, but it's not my church. It's God's church. It's his church. And when we know that, we know it, when we know we've got that revelation, it's his church. We know he's going to defend his church. We know he's always going to stand by his church. We know he's always going to make provision for his church. You know, it's been 25 years ago that I planted ark, and I have seen God, and I'm sure, I, I, actually, I see what God's doing with you guys, just Jen, but he never fails to provide. Seriously, he just... If he gives the vision, it's going to happen. If he says, build it, you're going to build it. And it's just going to happen because God is building his church. It belongs to him. He's going to defend it. He says, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my called out ones. I will build my people. Amen. And not many wise, not many nobles, but God has chosen the foolish things to build it. When you think about this, now this is why oftentimes when I 
I'm in like this kind of presence and I'm, I, I don't know, it just brings tears to my eyes. I think, how comes I'm here? I'm sure you must feel that. Like, yeah, like why me? I'm like, I'm nobody. You know, there are other educated people. There are other noble people. And, and you know, there are all these people around me who think, you know, they kind of, like, I don't think they can quite work out, this is in England, they can't quite work out why God is doing with the ark. Because they're looking at me and they're thinking like... Because, <laughs> you know, a lot, of, a lot of the people around me, you know, they're a bit, you know, very educated, highfalutin, and they learn these big, extravagant words, and they make things so complicated. They get on my nerves, to be honest with you. It's like... It's like Everything is like in a meeting and talking this, these languages and words and things. And they don't do nothing. They just talk and talk and talk and talk. And so I have felt like people coming at me like, like but we've got to get it all right. We've got to have... I'm like, well, God is doing it. Like with my stupidness, he's, he's building it. Like, God is building his church. I, I mean, I'm not decrying education and all that. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm learning, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying that God is using a stupid guy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I was talking to, uh, I think it's your PA last, in May when I was there, and she was telling me about Andrew, uh, you know, and, and I think, oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> she, she said to me, Andrew hates being in lots of meetings, meetings. I thought, oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind being in meetings where like, we say, right, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and we go out and we're doing it. But when you're talking, and then the next meeting, you're discussing what you discussed in the last meeting, and then you're reading the minutes, and six months later, you're still talking about what you were talking about. I can't stand that. How I've known it over the years, this is how God has worked with me. He tells me to do something, I get up, I run, I do it, it happens. The unfortunate thing, or it's fortunate or unfortunate, how you want to look at it, is it's got a lot bigger now, it's got a lot complicated, there's lots more people, so now what God speaks to me, I get off running to do, then I remember there's these guys behind there, so I say, well, I've got to go back. But he's building his church. And you are a part of that building. You are the church. Everyone say, I am the church. I am God's called out one. This is God's end time army. And I thought like we'll, uh, you know, 1 Peter 2, 5 says, we are lively stones building a spiritual house. And it says in Ephesians 4, 16, the whole body is joined together by that which every joint supplieth. So we're all supplying. We're all, we are a brick, but we're bringing another brick. We're bringing another stone. Amen. We're reaching out into the prisons. We're reaching out into the hospitals. We're reaching out into the gangs and the prostitutes. We're reaching out into the streets, into the lanes, and we're picking up stones and we're bringing them back and we're building a church with Jesus. I shared that story at the beginning because I was a stone that God was working at and carving out while I was in prison, and, and somebody, it was a lady named Doris, Doris Telford. I used to say she was a little old lady, but I realized at that time she was the same age as me. So, 
But I was like 19 then, she was 50, 53 then. So for me, she looked like a little old lady. But now I'm 53 now, like she wasn't a little old lady. But this little old lady, Doris, she, she was a person that was always going after souls. And she hadn't brought anyone to the Lord for a good couple of years. And she was getting a real time. She, she prayed a prayer, she told me. She's passing gone to the Lord now. She said, God, if you don't let me win, bring someone to you, I'm never going to talk to anyone about Jesus again. And she was having a little moan of God about, I mean, it's a better prayer than people, oh, if you don't bless me with a car, I'm not coming back to church. So it's like, it's, it's a nice prayer, isn't it? Like, and she prayed that prayer, God, I need, I've not brought anyone to God. And I want to bring someone to God. And my friend passed away that I told you got killed. And I went to the house where there's like a wake and all the family's in. There's Doris Telford. She's in the kitchen. And she turns up and she's cooking and helping the mother and just serving there. And I see her. And I go and I look at her. And there's something about her. I don't know what it was. But she realized I was watching her. And she turned to me. And she got talking to me. And she invited me to church the Sunday. I went to the church on a Sunday. She wasn't there that Sunday, but I went. And I was at the altar, and I gave my life to God. I saw her in the week back at the house. I said, I did go to church on Sunday. She said, you went? Yeah, I went. And my life was radically transformed. Now, I don't know if Doris ever brought another person to God. But you know what? Her reward is great. Because she brought me. And uh, this is not a boast. But probably hundreds of thousands of people have come to the Lord as a result of her introducing me. So at the end of it, God is saying he's building his church. And we've got the privilege of working along with him. But I'm telling you, God is out there at work and he's carving out Peters and Andrews and different people. They may have long hippie hair. They may have bald hair. They may be black. They may be white. They may be educated, uneducated. They may be businessmen. They may be on the street. They may be, you know, homeless. No matter where they are, we as the church need to have a passion and a burden like Doris. Say, God, I need to be bringing a stone and helping to build the church of Jesus Christ. Because I want to have a soul winner's crown. I do want to have a soul winner's crown. I want Jesus to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy. Come and enjoy. I think some people, I say to our church, some of you are going to make it into heaven, you know, and some are going to have mansions. I'm going to have a big mansion. And you've not really done much. You'll have a little hut. And maybe I'll let you have it in my garden. You could be my garden. <laughs> Well, I do read in the Bible where he says he's going to be rewards, you know. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not working for salvation, but I want some rewards. How many want some rewards? I mean, you go out to work in the natural here to get a reward at the end of the month. Why not work for Jesus and get a reward at the end of this all? I will build my church. The church is going to get built with or without you. But I want it to be with me. Can we stand? Can we stand? And you know, if you're out there today and you're not in the church, you're not saved yet, you're not born again yet, 
And for whatever reasons, you may be holding back, but somehow in this service, through the worship or the testimonies at the beginning or through the preaching, God has been gripping your heart. And maybe he's been preparing you from long before today. And you just want to say yes to the Lord. I want to give my life to Jesus. This is a great place to do it today. Amen. It's a great place to do it. And we're going to give you an opportunity to do so. I will build my church. And the gates of hell is not going to stop it. It ain't going to stop it. I'll close with this. Um, at the conference, a gentleman came up to me and he gave me a word and, and we held each other. I cried and wept in his arm. He wept in mine because the word he gave me was a word I constantly got while I was in hospital. For 90 days, I was in hospital from October to December. Now, the word I kept getting, because I was very, the operation I was going to have is the operation. My mum died having that same operation. And so I was a little bit, am I going to make it? To be honest, at one time, I actually left the hospital. I went home. <laughs> Just, uh, and then God convicted me, so I had to go back. And um, he held me and wept with me, and I was weeping because, as he said to me, these words that I kept hearing, God is not finished with you yet, Peter. He still has work for you to do. The gates of hell shall not prevail. If God ain't finished with you, the devil can't kill you. Amen? He can't take you. If God has still got work for you to do, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. And I just wept because I heard that word so many times. There's still work for you to do. Do you know, I'm 55 years old, and January, coming next year, I'm going to plant a congregation, like, from scratch at 55. Because I'm so... I'm a little bit bored of, I just need a lion to kill and a mountain to climb. I need to see fresh souls and, and, and to start again. Because God's in the church building business. And so while I want to reach out to someone that wants to be a stone in this church that God wants to reach. But some people here, I really feel I want to reach out to you because you feel, I feel God's tugging your heart because you're a person that's going to bring lots of stones to help to build this church that God is building. And so I want to make a call for you today. So if you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, amen, you can respond to just lifting your hands and we want to pray for you and then I'm going to make a call. <laughs> you want to do it again? church. <laughs> Anyone here that's not saved yet want to say yes to the Lord today? Is it, am I? Are we, are we clapping for my hands? <laughs> is it, can, who is it? Just raise your hands high so I can see if you did. Praise God. Come on, come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is there somebody else? Before we pray for our sister, then I want to make another call. Is there anyone else? Say yes. Come on, let's pray with our sister. Let's pray with her. Is it a sister or is it a brother? It is a sister. Amen. You guys around them, go scatter around them. Father, thank you for her heart, Lord. Touch it today. Save her today, Lord. 
God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your great salvation. Thank you, Lord. Can you guys just lead her for a prayer right there? Yeah. God, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your deliverance. God, transform her life, Lord. Let her never be the same again, Lord. Let her come to know you, Lord, in the power of your resurrection, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And the call I want to make is, if there's anyone here that just wants to be a part of this building, bringing in bricks and stones and building this church, uh, if you're here and you're hungry to win souls, I really feel like there's a soul-winning anointing here. I wonder if you just leave where you are and come down to the altar. I want to really just walk around, lay hands, pray. If you want to be a part of the building of God's church, just come. Just come. Share that as you come, I'm gonna pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Ooh. It was a Wednesday, just before I pray, it was a Wednesday night. I was teaching Bible study, it was a gentleman that responded at the end of my teaching and he came to the altar and I said, what do you want me to pray for? He said, I'm going to kill someone. I'm going to shoot someone this week. That's really upset me. And he says, but I've come here because I really don't want to do it, but I'm just feeling like I'm going to kill someone. I prayed with him and I said, come to church on Sunday, please. So on Sunday, he came to the church I preached that Sunday and I gave an altar call. He came to the altar. And I went over to pray for him. And he says, you'll never believe it. He said, the guy that he was wanting to kill is over on the other side of the altar. <laughs> and you know what? In, this is in that same service. They both got saved. <laughs> Together. Like, they both... They got saved. <laughs> and they grew in God and became friends and God just spared them. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. I thank you that you've called us to bear precious seed. You've called us to be soul winners. You've called us, Lord, to reach out and reach the loss, to bring in stones, Lord Jesus. I pray that your anointing will rest upon all of my brothers and sisters here. I pray that God, that they will not discriminate with the stones that they pick up. I pray that they will not discriminate by the size of the stone, by the color of the stone, by the shape of the stone. I pray that God, this house, Lord God, will be made up of all different types of stones, Lord. I pray that your church will reflect, Father, the different types of soul. God, put a, a soul in an anointing upon us a boldness a confidence in the gospel a confidence that when we speak lord you're going to use us lord i pray father in the name of jesus against any spirit of fear or intimidation god that may come upon us lord i pray that we will be as bold as a lion father in the name of jesus and father help us lord 
Help us, Father, to just be anointed to work with you, Lord, and bring in stones to erect your house and build your church in this nation and around the globe and around the world in the name of Jesus. I wonder if you would just close off by just praying with each other. Just pray with each other to be soul winners. Just pray with the person next to you on the right and left and just pray with each other. There's a heart that's hungry there.